Hello, and thank you for listening to the MicroBinFi podcast. Here, we will be discussing topics in microbial bioinformatics. We hope that we can give you some insights, tips, and tricks along the way. There is so much information we all know from working in the field, but nobody writes it down. There is no manual, and it's assumed you'll pick it up. We hope to fill in a few of these gaps. My co-hosts are Dr. Nabil Ali Khan and Dr. Andrew Page. I am Dr. Lee Katz. Both Andrew and Nabil work in the Quadrum Institute in Norwich, UK, where they work on microbes in food and the impact on human health. I work at Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and am an adjunct member at the University of Georgia in the US. This episode is a panel discussion which was recorded in the Gambia and West Africa. Unfortunately, the audio from Nick Lohman was not of sufficient quality to include in the podcast as he was Skyping in. The question is, has nanopore rendered on-site Illumina sequencing obsolete? And today we have Nick Lohman from the University of Birmingham, David Baker from the Quadrum Institute, Ozan Gundogdu from London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, or Lishtum, but actually in London. And we have Abdul Sesay from the London School of Tropical Medicine here in the Gambia. I personally find that uh, in terms of bioinformatics, that there's no point anymore in doing any bioinformatics uh, software for short read sequencing because it's you know it's on the way out so and we need to reinvent everything for nanopore so you might as well and you get so much more data out of it and you can find so much more biologically interesting things that you can't find with a uh, alumina like when you do a, a short read shotgun metagenomic assembly you'll get things in maybe bins with 10 or 20,000 contigs in there and sure that that's crazy to work with you know whereas with uh when you do a promethean assembly of a gut metagenomic sample you get these beautiful bins where you might have 10 or 20 contigs and they're massive you know massive chunks of your genome so you can actually do proper biology proper metagenomics unlike you know with uh with short read illumina metagenomics where you're you're kind of heavily relying on algorithms to kind of tell you maybe this might be related or maybe it's not but then you end up with mags which are just sometimes just these crazy accumulations of uh stuff that happens to look slightly similar but is totally different what do you think i just personally think in terms of being obsolete completely the um the error rate for nanopore i can't see ever going up significantly they're making they've made small advancements over the years but when you're applying a voltage across a pore and looking at a squiggle, I just can't see that that will ever um, become <coughs> high enough quality to get, um, you know, a SNP resolution. Just down to application, I still, maybe 90, 80, 90% of applications can be covered by nanopore long read sequencing, but there'll always be a small percentage of, of work that will need the high quality Illumina read quality or if indeed you know pack bio if, if people have got access to pack bio but o- overall i do see nanopore as maybe the leader in you know we've gone from a period where over 90 percent of sequencing is illumina sequencing and even in the coming years i can see that switching around so that 
you know, because of the accessibility of the Nanopore platform as well, you know, less and less people when they go into sequencing will, will go down the Illumina route and will probably go straight to Nanopore. Abdul, what's your opinion? We had a grant um, that the Gates Foundation gave us and they had a deal with um, Illumina that they would buy this 20 and um, the small ISIC for metagenomics on septis. So actually it was a really good project that they gave, <coughs> but they tied it with an Illumina platform. But when we had a meeting and Nick was there in um, Addis, they actually um, extended that we could do the work on Nanopore. And I think in our setting, um, again, in our setting, when we talk about uh, absolute, it would be absolute much quicker in Africa than it would probably be in, um, in your high-end setting. So for me, I think that um, it'd be quicker to, to get rid of Illumina for us because we have to go through providers. The access to it is much more difficult than you guys are doing. We don't have Novus um, Gene sitting next door to us and all of those. So we need to develop something that's easy and quite cheap and accessible for us. So we might not worry about error rates, but we can do 90% of the stuff that we want to do. Um, um, in Africa, then maybe it might be obsolete in our setting rather than quicker than it would be in your guys' setting. Yeah, I mean, um, just going back to the error rate, I mean, I think there's, I agree with you, uh, Dave, but I think there's there's more and more methodologies I've seen out there that are trying to circumvent the, this error rate problem, and I think that's, that's one thing to bear in mind. And the other thing is, um, I think, um, yeah, you know, We've, we've had an Illumina MySeq, for example, at the London School for a number of years, and there's you know, individual groups that are having the Oxford nanopores and the, the Promethean now coming in, and we're moving towards that more and more. Yeah, I think sometimes, though, that when we look back at the microarray story, when the infrastructure is there at some institutes, it does take a, a long time to actually change that. So going to your point, it, it, you know, buying something now, it might actually be better to actually just buy it. The, the Oxford nanopore and 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 you know the, have yourself future proof as we were saying the other day and I guess the barrier to entry is so much lower because you know it's a thousand dollars to get into it rather than having <coughs> to build an entire building to house these beautiful novo seeks and uh, old wet lab support that goes with it has anyone actually done a comparison or, or even tried to use nanopore to do uh, analysis of a bacterial outbreak to see if you can call SNPs accurately enough to and compare that with what you did, you would get with Illumina to see Staph aureus going through a hospital or Acinetobacter or anything. Has that actually been done with bacterial genomes uh, and Nick. shown to work or shown not to work? It's something we're quite used to. And if you look back at the days of GA2 when the quality was so much lower, you know, we're, you know, we're well used to having to throw away lots and lots of snips and you know making these judgment calls so <coughs> I think it's just more the same. Yes I, I, I wanted to say that I think it, it depends on what your question is so for us where we're looking at antimicrobial resistance and we're looking at outbreaks and things and trying to understand what is the resistance that is causing outbreak a, a difference in SNP can mean that you have a different gene or you might have a resistant or a sensitive isolate so for us, what we do is we do the hybrid. So we use the Minion, Nanoport, as well as the Illumina. So we look at the hybrid sequence as well. And there's a, a, a work we did with um, Oxford, with Derek Crook's group, 
where we um, actually compare, compare the pack bio with the Minaya Manipur. And, and, and you can see that they both work really well, but with pack bio, the accuracy is so much higher. But, but if you're doing high throughput, where you're looking at hundreds and hundreds of isolates like we're doing for our surveillance activities, it just doesn't make sense because it's just so expensive, you can't use it. So presumably you can use nanopore to work out that you have an outbreak going on. So you can say we have a bunch of salmonellas that look sufficiently similar that are coming from Newcastle and London and whatever, that we've got an outbreak, but you'll, you can't yet work out, well, actually it's that kebab shop in Newcastle that gave it to that individual and that kebab shop yeah. needs to be closed down. Yeah, for, for us, or for your case, the farm needs to... That's right. For us, to. accuracy is the most important yeah. thing because if you think, based on that, you might go and put some farmer out of business, you yeah. know, and it's cost the UK government millions of pounds if they sue us. So, so And if yes. you did nanopore sequencing on everything and then threw things into baskets <coughs> to say, these things look mm. quite similar, Yeah. you know, we've got a thousand isolates and of these, 50 of them look the same. You could then go and do a luminous sequencing just on those 50 to get the, the fine resolution. Yeah, Might and we do it almost the other way at the moment. We yeah. do the Illumina first. We do the Illumina first, but I'm just saying that maybe they'll flip. We could point. do that in, in yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was going to say, our emphasis is slightly different from Moon, because uh, in our setting, we really want public health response. So when there's an outbreak, first of all, we want to detect the pathogen. Then we want to know the serotype or the genotype. Because this is where WHO or UK government or partners could bring in vaccines in order to uh, uh, stop the transmission of that outbreak. Of course, this increase is really important, yeah. but for in terms of response quickly, yeah, it's yeah. really to detect the pathogen and the serotype. But th these are the ones that the vaccines are available. So I suppose the one thing that uh, Nanopore and these language technologies give you is that you can maybe go and do direct sequencing without culturing so you can cut out that entire you know day or two or, or however long it takes to culture your bug and you would you don't just get the like small chunks of it you get full big chunks and you can say well uh, say this salmonella has these resistance genes because I'm able to sequence you know such a long piece of it so well, that, that depends on how much biomass of the bacteria you have I mean yeah. in, in the stool that would be okay but if you're trying to detect pneumo in a nasopharyngeal swab, I suspect there's probably not enough there for you to do it directly. You might have to do some culture first. Or, well, Nick said PCR as a, you know, for viruses, they take they do the PCR step first. Point from from the perspective of an end user, somebody who doesn't do the sequencing themselves but helps with the analysis. How much of a step is it to go from the Illumina sequencing where you just get your FASTQ files to the type of files that Nanopore uh, uses? Can you just easily convert everything? Can you just use your same programs or do you have to actually change your pipelines or your setups to be with uh, Nanopore data? Uh, so basically for Nanopore and PacBio you need totally different pipelines to Illumina because of all the errors and you have to account for those. So well, I've, I've done hybrid assembly where you just basically where you mix the uh, the long read and the short read, and as long as you get fast Q files or fast A files, you can do that. But that already <laughs> requires a conversion, so you can't just work with the native files. So that's why I'm saying, can you work with the native files quite easily in different programs, or do you have to completely change it if you start working with Nanopore? 
So the native files for Illumina are BCL files, but yeah. you don't work with those. Yeah, um, you work with the flash queue only. Yeah, and I, I think it's people have confidence in Illumina's base calling, you know, over the past few years that, you know, if it's an A, it's an A. Whereas with uh, Nanopore, because Guppy and, and all the base calling software changes so rapidly, you do have to go back every now and again and rebase call the same data over and over and over again because you will get better uh, data at the end. And it, I think it's only when we're really, really confident that the base calling is as good as it's going to get and it's stable, then we'll just probably keep the fast queue files and use those as the, the base. But at the moment, you do have to keep the native uh, squiggles. Okay, so the rumors of the death of the rumor are greatly exaggerated. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's inevitable, I think. So, Abdul, what's your plan for using Nanopore here? I, I know you've got a grid ion and uh, you've got lots of min ions, but are you thinking about bringing a, pr a Promethean? I think one of the things, um, we're writing our QQ now, and that's one of the things that I'm playing in my head with is whether we get a bigger piece for our human genetic stuff or we got time. I think we got um, two years is a long time in the sequencing business, so um, we, we, I'll get the money and then we will look at... Um, what technology will bring in. Martin, do you have a comment to make on that? I think we got two years and gives us time to think where we go. Yeah, I completely agree. The appointment for human genesis, I think, is still under discussion yeah. because of the cost. But um, that happens and then we need a high throughput um, sequence. So would you consider doing plasmodium on it or anopheles or anything like that? On promethium, yes, yeah. if we have, yeah. We're already doing that with Alfred and yesterday's talk. Um, but this was done through the Sangha, wasn't yes, it? Yes, so with, um, with so Dominic. Yeah. But the idea is to do everything in house. Yeah. Actually. Yes, uh, my question is that will this affect, uh, would they change from alumina sequencing to the long read and sequencing as services affect the data rights of the? The, the sample donors, or is, is, is something that is, is still going to be the same as it is now, where, where the, or will, will it have any effect on the data rights for specimen donors? I don't think so. I mean, uh, when you go and give a blood sample for a test, if you've given um, permission for a test to be done, you don't actually decide which machine um, they're going to run it on. So I think that once you've got ethics, I think, is that not right, yeah, Martin? Okay. I don't think it matters, um, really. I mean, it matters about protecting your data when it comes out, but I really don't think yeah. the way... I guess is. that if you do better genomics on humans, you might get more human DNA out, longer, re longer stretches of human DNA in assemblies, that might, might mean it's easier to identify the person. But what would you say, if it's not a human project, those sequences will be thrown away. Yeah, exactly. Well. You, you, they should just be thrown away anyway. So, yeah, so they yeah. shouldn't be. They should never be released. Yeah, yeah. anyway. But I guess it would make it easier to do sequencing in country, so you don't have to ship it off to Sanger or yeah. to Broad or yeah. wherever. I think really, again, this is why I go back to our setting: is that it will change in terms of taking infectious samples out of here. I mean, people are changing in animal transportation on aeroplanes, so that might change whether you send samples out. So, I mean, having doing something in-house probably be, and governments are also trying to change that, so that 
sample doesn't belong to research scientists, it belongs to the country. So they can come here and seize our freezers. Um, um, if Jame was here, he, that was one of his plans. That yeah, I mean, in the Gambia in the past, uh, any sample that is shipped out, we, we needed to keep an aliquot here. Yeah. Anyway, as part of the ethics approval. Yeah. So in our freezer, we have a lot of samples that are practically useless because we have to keep an aliquot back, and it's not linked to which is a regulation I think it's standard for government projects, I mean for us, anything which is funded by the government, which is 95% of our work, belongs to the UK government, so it does not belong to the research scientists. So if people leave, all of that comes back to the government. And if you need permission, you have to go to our policy people to ask for permission for certain things. So I think that's standard across. Any final words from Ozan? Yeah, I mean, I agree with uh, pretty much most of that. And I think um, somewhere like the London School of Hygiene, Tropical Medicine, I mean, we have core facility with Illumina uh, to, to now convince uh, the school to invest more, more money in core facility for uh, Oxford Nanopore is something. A lot of individual groups are having their own pieces of equipment. And we do a lot of work abroad, so people just want to take and do the sequencing on site. So, um, it's it's in that sort of middle playing field of uh, we're not exactly sure what's going to happen in terms of sustainability. Uh, we've always got issues about warranty. Who's going to pay for the warranty of these uh, capital expenditure equipment? And yeah, these are these are ongoing issues, and, and I guess that's why we're here discussing this today. David. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I just feel that um, in terms of. You know, Muna said mentioned earlier uh, that a single bio um, assembly was actually better quality than a nanopore alumina hybrid, and I just think they're Pat bio are missing a trick. If they could come out with an instrument that would encompass both alumina quality and nanopore read length, it wouldn't do necessarily the field work, but if they could make it accessible in terms of cost, I still think the future could be bright for Pat Bio, and that might be the all-in-one solution for um, someone uh, setting up their own core sequencing facility. Um, cost of Pat Bio, even if they make it cheaper, will be an issue in our setting, and maintaining that um, would be an issue in our setting. Uh, so um, maybe we're still leaning onto the smaller machine. Okay, thank you very much uh, for everyone participating and thank you very much to Nick as well from the University of Birmingham. Thank you all so much for listening to us at home. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and like us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or the platform of your choice. And if you don't like this podcast, please don't do anything. This podcast was recorded by the Microbial Bioinformatics Group and edited by Nick Waters. The opinions expressed here are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of CDC or the Quadrum Institute.